All right. Before we start, I want to let you know about this amazing all-in-one podcasting platform called Listener.fm. Listener helps you record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast all in one place. With just one click, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. Check it out at Listener.fm. All right. So for people who don't know, Adam, you started four venture-backed companies, sold two of them, invested in over 100, including Ethereum, Superhuman, and Bolt. And now you're building Braintrust, which is a decentralized talent marketplace. So I'm just curious, 90% of the world can't even think of taking a plunge for their business, but you are on your fourth one. So what has been your motivation to keep building? Well, I'm essentially unemployable. So it's my only option in life. I have to keep starting businesses. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I love, I actually really love the marketplace business model. Um, all my businesses, my venture back businesses have been marketplaces. Many of my investments have been web enabled marketplaces. Um, <clears throat> I think it's just an incredible business model. Uh, if you get, if you can get the scale and get the network effects going, you can build something incredibly valuable. And this whole idea of Web3 user-owned marketplaces is just game-changing. It's just, I know we'll get into it later, but, um, and, and so for me, it's it's the novelty of the business model and um, being able to create value, um, you know, in new places. Yeah. So this is super interesting that these were totally different verticals, shopping, car repair, health, and talent. Uh, what did you think was common between solving for this chicken and egg problem? Because you are constantly investing and finding product market fit on both the sides. Yeah, so um, I, that's kind of the fun part of building marketplaces, right? Is you, you sort of need an unfair advantage to, to build one side. And then if you build the right, you know, if you get the correct side, the other side will come, right? And so with um, MarketSquare, my, my e-commerce business, we're actually the first company to do local shopping on the internet. So I um, just sort of accidentally figured out that you could SEO locally available products. And um, for a while, for several years, actually, we, if you typed in a product name with a local modifier, like a zip code or a city, we would be the only organic result. No SEM, nothing, right? We'd be the only SERP. And so um, that was our unfair advantage of building. We, we built the demand side first and got the supply and, and were able to build a nice local marketplace. With, with driver side, we were the first ones to put a, a lot of automotive data, like service schedules and that kind of stuff on the internet before you had to go buy a book from an auto parts store. So we got the supply first and then drew the demand in. Uh, with Doctor on Demand, I, I started the company with Doctor Phil, who's a famous TV host and mm. has a massive daytime viewership, and um, and so he brought the demand, i.e., the patients, and then I went out and built 50 medical practices in 50 different states to build the supply. And so, in with Doctor on Demand, or sorry, uh, with Brain Trust, um, our unfair advantage was allowing the talent to actually own the network and control it instead of a for-profit company in the middle, like an Upwork or a TopTal or Accenture or whatever. And so. Um, we attracted a lot of really skilled talent by saying, look, you, you know, you, you'll get, you'll pay no fees like you do on other networks and staffing firms. Oh, and you'll actually get to control the thing uh, through the token. And so we got the supply first. These are folks that big companies just can't hire, right? They don't want to go work at big companies, but they'll go contract for them. And so that was our, our hack there is build the supply first and the demand came. And that's, you know, to this day, we're, we're still, still talent constrained, even though we have, you know, tons and tons of clients. So that's sort of the, to answer your question, kind of, you know, how I look at the chicken egg problem with marketplaces. Right. Makes sense. Uh, I had a difficult time because when we were building a dating app, like, you know, that is not exactly how this works. So, uh, yeah, we had to bring first the female audience and we had to make yeah. sure that they 
comfortable. And then we had to bring uh, the male audience and be like, hey, let's let's uh, let's see what do you if you can have great experiences over here. But all right, let's move on to the downsides of Web2 marketplaces, because I believe that was the main uh, click for you that, OK, we need a better solution over here. I was actually consulting for a company. They were trying to move into Amazon Vertical. They had to explore that, hey, does our product work for Amazon third-party sellers? And that's where I realized that these Amazon third-party sellers, they are not really happy with how Amazon treats them. They can shut down their account without any notice. They can increase the FBA fees by 5% any day. So this is very common. What has your experience been over here? Yeah, well, look, this is you're, you're, you're exactly elucidating the point, the, the problem, the dirty little secret, if you will, of all web-enabled two-sided marketplaces. You have this, you know, it's a for-profit company that sits in the middle and their job is to create supply, create demand, match them. And then their mm -hmm. business model is take a fee, as big a fee as possible, right? Because it's a for-profit company. So, um, as, so as the fee grows, right, they're extracting more and more value from the marketplace. The minute that value they're extracting is disproportionate with the value they're creating, i.e. just usually it's just making the, the match and sometimes they'll maintain reputation and, and make payments easy. But as soon as that value extraction exceeds the value provided, you have an opportunity for disruption, right? And you have, and, and the more that gap widens, the more, the, the more misaligned the incentives become between the folks who make their living on the marketplace, whether it's an Amazon seller, a restaurant on DoorDash, uh, a driver on Uber, or a computer programmer on Upwork. Um, once you know, once that fee becomes too much to bear, essentially, it's not worth it anymore. You mm -hmm. you have opportunity for disruption, and so that's the story of Web three, right? Is um, Web three is the disruptive force uh, behind new marketplaces that take away the you know get rid of the middleman that's taking too much value. Now, not not all middlemen take too much value, right? Like, let me make the counter argument here. Look at a network like Airbnb. <clears throat> I think their take is like 25 or 30%. But for that, you're getting you know, fully insured for your property, for your trip, uh, really you know, well-vetted people on both sides. Like vetting is important, right? Like reputation mm -hmm. matters a lot. Payments are made easy. Now experiences are layered in. So Airbnb actually provides a lot of value there, right? That's one of the reasons they're much bigger than VRBO and will probably be bigger than hotels at some point. And so um, there, there's a good example of like, I don't think you'll see a Web3 Airbnb anytime soon. I just don't see a lot of opportunity for disruption, but okay. you'll definitely see a Web3 Accenture or a Web3 hmm. Deloitte or a Web3 Upwork or a Web3 Fiverr, right? Those are all things Braintrust does. Um, and then I think probably in the near future, you'll see a Web3 Uber, a Web3 DoorDash, right? Because in those marketplaces, you know, the supply side hate the operator, right? The Uber drivers yeah. hate Uber. The restaurants will do anything to get away from DoorDash, right? The restaurants knock, uh, DoorDash knocks restaurants into negative gross margins, right? That's, it's a fucking joke. So you'll see there, there's lots of opportunity here for Web3 to, you know, clean this up and disintermediate those uh, for-profit operators. Definitely. I think Web3 for Uber is definitely in the play in the works because every time I like, you know, hop in a Uber, I just love to ask these Uber drivers questions that, Hey, what do you think about Uber? What do you like about it? And they always complain that, Hey, it's 30 to 40% cut. That's a lot. We are not happy. And yeah, I have seen some really good solutions out there, which where people are trying to build something, but do you think this is mainly because of venture capital? Because as soon as they find a product market fit, the marketplace, venture capital wants their money back, and that's where the platform is pressurized to increase the fees. 
Yeah, look, venture capital is the forcing function that um, leads to more fee extraction, but it's not the root cause, right? The root cause is the business model. I mean, take take TopTal, TopTal, for example. TopTal is a, it's essentially brain trust, but it's owned by one person, right? There's just one shareholder. Um, He had a convertible note with some investors and he just paid it back. He never converted it to equity. So the guy literally owns the whole network. And so he charges like a 50, 60% uh, fee from what we've heard from their talent. Most of their talent have come to brain trust. Um, and you know, I mean, like it's a great business for him, right? I mean, I, that, that's really innovative. Um, and there's no venture capitalists like making him charge high fees, right? It's, it's just him. Mm. So venture capitalists aren't, aren't the source of the problem. They can be the accelerant of the problem. Um, but they're not, they're not inherently the problem. The, the inherent problem is the, the marketplace that connects supply and demand and maintains reputation and makes payments easy. If that's for profit, it's it's eventually going to diverge from what the users who make their living on want, right? Like the more top tail takes, the less the talent earn and or the more the clients have to pay, right? And so it, it may work okay, right? I, I think top is a good service. I like I think it's done done well. It's just brain trust is is just better for both sides, right? And look, the whole the world, this world is so big, like both firms and all the other firms, this highly fragmented business, like everyone will continue to grow and probably do well. Um, I just think user-owned networks will grow faster and become more valuable than investor-owned networks. Definitely. How did you first come across TopTel and how did you first come across blockchain and Web3? When did you think that, okay, there could be something where we could merge these two together? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, TopTel didn't inspire me to start Braintrust. Okay. You know, it was just one of the players in this, one of the many, many players in the space. I first encountered blockchain in 2011 when I first bought Bitcoin. Um, And then I participated in the Ethereum crowd sale then uh, in 2015. And that's when I really got hooked on blockchain when when smart contracts came around. And, you know, I realized like, hey, a token, you know, could essentially replace a corporate share of stock when it comes to organizing, organizing people and aligning incentives. Right. It's the token doesn't have to be a dividend or profit return mechanism or active security. Right. That's that's not at all how the brain trust token works. The brain trust token is an incentive system and a governance system for a user owned network. And um, it's, you know, the network itself does not need to generate profit. Right. The, the participants on the network are very much for profit. But the network itself, it's just code. Right. It's just smart contracts. It doesn't need to extract a ton of value. And so that's where bringing fees down you know, grows the market and and you know, makes things viable that weren't before viable, like freelancing full time. Definitely. So how do you explain the entire governance model? Because this is very interesting that you get a brain trust token or BTRSG token, uh, which is incentivizing the community for vetting the talent, inviting the talent and referring clients. So can you shed more light on the token and how it enables for the community to become a user enabled one? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'll start with kind of what you touched on the way, the ways you get the token. So all, all jobs, by the way, on brain trust are denominated and paid for in us dollars that could be wire transfers or USDC. It doesn't matter. Um, but people work, you know, clients want to pay in dollars. People want to earn dollars. They pay the rent in dollars. Like it's not a payment token. Um, the way you earn brain trust is you refer other talent. You help screen that talent. Um, you refer clients, you onboard clients, you write code for us. I mean, there's dozens of things, dozens of ways you can earn tokens. Uh, and we have 54,000 or something people in our community that are, that are doing that at some level. It could be minor contributions, could be major full-time ones, but that's how Brain Trust has grown very large without only having a couple dozen employees on the core teams. 
And mm -hmm. so you earn the tokens for all those activities and then you use the token. Um, the, 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 uh, anyone who holds a token can propose governance proposals, participate in the DAO, vote on things, basically control the roadmap of the platform and um, a vote on changes to the smart contracts. Uh, and then clients uh, are charged 10% success fee on every invoice. They pay that in cash. That cash is converted to USDC and sent to a smart contract, which then goes out and buys uh, branch trust tokens in the open market. And so um, that was something the community fully developed on their own after we hit mainnet and were decentralized. And that, that was basically community's answer to what happens when treasury runs out of tokens for paying all these rewards out, right? There's tons of people earning rewards. How do we, you know, re replenish treasury essentially. And so that, that, that was decided that client fees would go to buy tokens in the open market and send them to the DAO, the Brain Trust DAO, which is built on Ethereum. Right. Would you call yourself a DAO? Brain Trust is a DAO or is it a organization? What would you call it? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, these terms are, are still a bit amorphous. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, I think so. Brain Trust, I, I would categorize two ways. Uh, one, it is a marketplace where you go mm. find a job. A marketplace connects buyers and sellers. In our case, knowledge workers, supply, clients, demand. And it also has a DAO. Um, a DAO is kind of like an LLC, right? It's it's just like a new structure to 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 aid in capital formation. Um, and the will of its members, essentially, right? Like if you and I and a bunch of buddies formed an LLC and went and bought a winery, right? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, now like the five of us own this winery and we'll write the rules of how the winery should be run, you know, into the LLC charter documents. And like you file it with whatever state the winery's in. LL uh, DAO is just like that, except on Ethereum and like global participation. And, you know, it's, it's way uh, simpler and no lawyers and, um, and if, if it has enough teeth in the smart contracts, it could be kind of code is law. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's like a, you know, it, it's like an LL, like a club with a bank account essentially. So yeah, brain trust is also a DAO. Um, there's some, there's tokens in it and, and the, 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 the fate of those tokens uh, is decided by token holders, you know, code is law in that case. Right. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually chatting with a buddy all about DAO and this thing, one thing came up. So help me solve this uh, qu question or mystery, whatever you want to say. But what happens if the entire community decided on a proposal, they voted on it, but the team doesn't actually execute on it? Well, um, there's several different ways that can play out. So um, in DAOs where um, there, there's like kind of trust amongst the community, like, hey, core teams should implement the will of the community, um, but it's basically handshake agreement, which is how most DAOs are set up. There's nothing anything anyone can do, right? There's no sort of law or governing whatever. Um, that's sort of one end of the spectrum where most DAOs sit, right? Including brain trust. Um, hmm. On the other side, there's, um, well, the other side of that coin rather is the community can vote to do something and then implement it in a permissionless way. So this is how the brain trust fee converter actually came around. So the community said, look, there's a problem here. Treasury is going to deplete itself if it keeps paying out rewards. You know, there should be a mechanism where some market participant should buy tokens and send them to the DAO in order to fund grants and further proposals, right? And so the community, I actually don't know the identity of the people who did it built the smart contracts that, you know, take fees and convert them and, and basically said like, Hey, we should upgrade the network rules. And everybody kind of went along with it um, and, and implemented it. And it was, so that was a mix of like, 
we needed some community consensus around like, yeah, this should happen. Um, and now that it's in place, it's sort of like the code does the work, right? Um, there's no, no people controlling it. So um, that's the spectrum, right? There, there's, um, and then there's other models I've seen where, um, you know, the community token holders can vote on essentially delegates, right? Like, hey, I'm not going to mm -hmm. vote. You know, it's kind of like how the U.S. democracy works, right? Like, hey, I'm not going to vote on every single issue, but I'll like ha I'll vote on an elected representative who will, you know, maybe be a, I don't know, like a, a board member of the DAO. And that person has a two year term and maybe they're pumped for it, whatever. And um, those people's terms are you know, that can be coded into a smart contract, right? You can actually like put in people's wallet addresses and say, after two years, this person right. is not, you know, does not have delegation voting power anymore. So, you know, there's so many good, cool experiments going on in this space right now. Definitely. Yeah. So overall, in terms of governance, what is working for you and what is not working or what are you still trying to figure out? Because, yeah, there are a ton of DAOs out there. They all are experimenting with different governance models. Well, here's what here's a, I'll make a couple points here. It's a really it's a fun topic. So um, what's working and what isn't? Well, <laughs> when, when you decentralize a network and you literally don't control it anymore, like it's not a hierarchy anymore, right? Like I was used to being CEO of my last company and I have full control over it. Um, as soon as we decentralized Brain Trust last September, I still control my node. I still have some influence. I have tokens. Right? It's not like I disappeared, but I don't have full control. I don't. I can't like sell the company. You know, I can't. You know, there's a bunch of things I can't do. Right? As um, as a now mere mar market participant. Um, on the flip side, we have so many such a vibrant community in our Discord of people coming up with new ideas for like. Hey, we should tackle this problem this way, or we should change the token economics that way. And those are things that I think even some of my smartest product managers probably wouldn't have thought of. And so you get more biodiversity around ideation, right? Like direction of the protocol. And then you could test it with the community kind of in real time. Like you do snapshot votes and like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And who would use this? If we built this, would you use it? Um, which is super interesting, right? You don't see that in corporate environments, right? It's just that, that there's a deficit of creativity and biodiversity of, of ideas in corporate environments there just is and so that's to me like the, the good side uh well and frankly this it's been all good i actually like i kind of don't I, I like not having full control over something that way like something goes sideways it's not, uh, right. it's, not I mean, it's not instantly me to blame right um yeah. i'm still here this is my full-time job I, brain trust is my my love and my passion project and i spend every minute working to make this network better, but there's also tens of thousands of other people that want it to work better as well. And, and then, so the last point I'll make is like, when you, when you have a, a incentives aligned with between all the participants from the, from the start and you grow that and the flywheel spins and spins, we, we started our marketplace a year and a half before we decentralized, right? So we got lots of clients, lots of talent, lots of GSV. We did, I don't know, 20 something million of GSV before we ever touched mainnet. And so what we did was we got like a lot of clients really happy Porsche and Nestle were early clients, the big companies like that. And then, you know, thousands of talent and they were all transacting together and they loved it. And they were like, this is so much better than hiring a staffing firm or paying a 50% margin or whatever. And so um, then we introduced the live token and then it got real interesting because people could earn, you know, real money basically for, for helping build the network. And so now there's like, Everyone kind of wants the same thing, right? So it's it's, it's a simple network in that sense, um, and so you don't. We haven't seen a lot of disagreement. I mean, there's there's always disputes about what to build and when, or is token staking a good idea or is it not? There's there's good healthy debates, but you know, it's like it's just not that. It, it's a it's a valuable network if you're a client or a talent, and it's there's not a lot of reasons to complain.
Definitely. So yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. There's a difference between how a CEO of a centralized company works versus decentralized. So I'm just curious, what is your role as a CEO of a DAO? Well, the DAOs don't have CEOs. DAOs have members. Um, okay. I'm, the C- I'm the CEO of a node, but just a, it's a company that helps build brain trust. There's many of them now, at least at least seven sort of that I know of that work full time on brain trust, but thousands okay. more teams and individuals that contribute in some way to brain trust. That could be recruiters driving talent to the platform and getting tokens. It could be folks. We have like BD folks that just refer clients and earn talent for that. I mean, it's amazing, right? It's, I don't know who any of these people are. I've never met any of them, but there's tons of people contributing to building the network. And so um, I'm not, I'm really, I'm essentially not the CEO of anything, right? I just, I just run one of the original nodes and my passion is around product development and um, token economics. And I love, you know, doing anything I can to, you know, to tell the brain trust story. And that's why I, you know, do these great podcasts and TV spots. And just want to tell, I just want to talk about how this is a better model. So there is no CEO, right? There's just like, there's no CEO of Ethereum. Uh, Vitalik is a, is a strong voice and a, a, lo- a well-loved leader, uh, but he can't, you know, he, you know he, he has only so much influence. So that, that's how we model ourselves. Right. That makes sense. Uh, you mentioned your passion is tokenomics or token. Is that right? Is that how you pronounce it? Tokenomics? Perfect. Yeah, I think so, there's ways yeah. to pronounce that. Yeah. So in terms of tokenomics, I'm just curious, how do you make sure that your members use the token for participation and voting and not just to hold as a store of value? Well, you can't make anyone do anything. Uh, you can only uh, create incentive systems that incentivize people to do or not do something. And so um, our the, the way we set our incentive systems up is earn the token by helping build the network. Pretty easy. Um, hmm. the, the clients the clients have to use the token. The smart contracts do that on their behalf to pay the fee. Um, and then... If you see something you don't like, you know, pay, our only request is pay attention to Discord right? or pay attention to Snapshot. And um, and if there's something you don't like or there, if a bad actor comes along someday and tries to you know screw this up, um, use your tokens and you know voice your opinion. Um, and so you know that happens occasionally, and there's some good heated debates in the Discord. And um, but yeah, we don't we're not prescriptive about telling people what to do with their tokens. We just, you know, we just hope that they see the value in acquiring and, and holding them, which the vast majority of people who've earned tokens are still sitting on them in their wallets. And, and will, you know, sometimes there's a lot of voting and sometimes there's not, right? Sometimes people just don't care. But, um, you know, the, you, I, we, we know for sure, not just anecdotally, that people really like having a stake in the network where they make a living, make their living. Definitely. So basically, all this token is sort of giving you voting power. You have more incentive to earn more token and participate in the ecosystem. What do you think about when venture capitalists come in, they invest initially in the project, they get a lot of token. And now they, because they have a lot of token now, that means that they will now try to make decisions favorable favorable to them. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it should be should be favorable to to their position as a token holder. Right. And so we're all token holders at the end of the day there we never sold any equity there's no it's not like you know, a lot of projects sell equity and tokens and you have no idea what's the conversion rate and which one's going to be more valuable it's a it's a mess um with the brain trust it was tokens from the beginning your your token is your vote uh it's your key to the system um and so investors that have come along um you know believe in our vision and love what we're doing and have been incredibly helpful i mean most of the clients that use brain trust have come in from investor introductions. That makes sense. Okay. So 
All right. Now I'm curious about the entire growth story. So you guys grew from zero to, I believe, 700,000 members or even more than that. What is that entire story within a few years? And did much of that growth come during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So this is Brain Trust was a it was a COVID story through and through. You know, um, when we started, uh, it's always been a remote work uh, marketplace, right? Before we started it in 2018, well before COVID. Um, and when we, you know, my partner Gabe and I would go pitch clients to, to get on Brain Trust in the early days, they'd say, yeah, you know, we're, we are having problems hiring tech people to come to our office, but, you know, we like to have people in the office. So we're not, we're not keen on remote. Uh, and then COVID shuts everyone off, everyone's offices down, and overnight remote is the new normal. And it was just a massive tailwind for this network, right? It was, if there are any silver linings to the terrible pandemic, you know, this would be one of them. So, yeah. And it, Brain Trust first year of marketplace operations, 2020 partial year, I think it did 3 million, 3, 3.2 million of GSV. GSV gross service value, by the way, is a client hiring talent, paying them. Um, hmm. So that's how you measure most marketplace activity, GSV or GMV. Uh, in, in its second year, 2021, it did something like, you know, 33 million. And then, uh, you know, I think it's on track to do, you know, a hundred something million uh, next year or this, this current year. So um, all fueled by word of mouth growth. Um, you know, there's not, there, there's a very minimal kind of sales team that helps onboard large clients. Um, but, you know, we have tons of leads coming in every day from, you know, from the community. That's great. Was it difficult to convince these Web2 companies uh, like Nike, Goldman Sachs to come on board? Because initially they might not even be sure that what does user control or user own mean? Uh, it's a great question. And I'll tell you the simple answer. They don't know. And most of them don't give a shit. <laughs> they, don't care, they don't care about the token. They don't care. So I'll tell you like how, how the conversation usually goes. It's first, you know, first it's like, hey, they'll, they'll hear about Brain Trust and like, hey, Brain Trust has this great talent, right? That's it's really hard for us to hire in-house. Okay. Well, everyone says that, right? So what makes this true for Brain Trust? Oh, well, at Brain Trust, these talent actually own and control the network. They don't pay any fees. There's not being marked up. There's a minimal till 10% fee, right? That the client pays, no one cares. And they earn tokens that give them control over the place where they make their living, right? It's the opposite of Upwork. It's the opposite of PwC, right? And so they're like, huh, well, that makes sense. And then they'll put a few jobs on the platform. We're like, oh, wow, these people are, are really are amazing. Can we do more? Can we do more? And then you've opened, you know, then, and they're every time Nike or Goldman or whoever pays a fee invoice, um, it goes and buys tokens, but that's all abstracted away from them, right? It's all code that does that, runs on the Ethereum blockchain. They don't touch any of that stuff, so they don't care. So all these companies, Nestle, Nike, Porsche, uh, Twitter, Spotify, I mean, there's all kinds of tech and non-tech companies, Black & Decker, you know, that are using... Brain trust, they're all using crypto. They just don't know it. That makes sense. That makes sense. So they just care about that. Hey, we need the best talent. We need to pay the least fees. And that's it. You handle the rest. I mean, look, that's the point. I think that needs to be the point of this technology, blockchain tech, right? Like, there's so many people in, in blockchain. Like, I, I get it. I'm an engineer. I've been here for some, from the beginning. I love technical complexity, but there's a lot of people in this space who just love complexity for complexity's sake, right? And it, it's not reasonable to expect people to use tools like MetaMask or hold your own keys or memorize 24 word mnemonics, you know, all this nonsense that, that our space is, you know, is forced to deal with today um, or non-human readable addresses. I mean, come on, you know, like it, it, it's like asking people to care about if your iPhone runs on um, CDMA or the GSN, whatever the hell the other cell networks are, right? Like 
it doesn't matter, right? The, the That's what Verizon does is it makes it really easy for AT&T. And so you don't have to care about how your phone works. That's how crypto should be, right? That's that's what brain trust obfuscates a lot of this complexity and just gets out of the way, just lets these clients hire these great talent and lets everybody make more and keep more of their own money. Definitely. Did you also see a lot of companies hiring internationally? Because in my case, I was interning for a company based in New York, but because of COVID, they started paying me in Canadian because I studied in Canada, but I actually moved to India. So there was a lot of legal and taxes issues going on. But yeah, how does Braintrust help companies hire internationally, helping with legal accounting and taxes issues? Yeah. Well, first of all, we, we build in all the compliance stuff into the platform and we, and we also build on top of other fiat rails. So Stripe and TransferWise. So we're using their money transmission licenses. So we didn't have to do that stuff. You know, those are right. internet international payments is a complex business, not one that I wanted to be in. So we have several partners there that, that do that for us. And it's, it's very cheap and you could get paid in crypto too, if you want to. Um, but, um, but I think the other part of the question is, um, training companies that okay now that you're going to hire outside of your four walls right okay covid forced you to figure that out great now you got to learn to hire outside of your time zone right and that's right. that's part two of, of what we're teaching you know and look we dog food this at, at brain trust all the time we have um I, there's no engineers on the core teams I'm, I'm the only engineer i serve as a chief architect all of our engineers are spread around europe um and we're so we're eight hours away from them they're on pacific they're on central or european time works fine. You figure it out. Right. And then we have, you know, you got plenty of great uh, talent in India and Southeast Asia and Latin America. And, um, and so we're teaching clients how to tap into that. Now there's plenty of great talent in the Midwest and the Rockies and all that stuff in the Southeast. And um, it's great. It's, it's great to um, allow companies a choice besides California engineers. Definitely, definitely. Uh, right now, in general, like, you know, location independence is a big thing. I love that, that I'm able to now finally, like, you know, sit wherever I want and work from wherever I want. It's beautiful. What do you think about, what do you think about people who are starting to, like this new trend where people are starting to not work full-time at top tech companies, uh, big tech companies, but now are starting to work freelance. How is that helping this big tech companies become more flexible, create better teams and how is that helping, uh, in general, the talent get more like, you know, satisfied life, work-life balance? Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's better for everybody involved, right? It, it, this whole, this whole like explosion of remote work. Um, I'll tell you that what we learned, there, there were two major barriers to American tech people. And I say, you know, engineers, designers, product managers, DevOps folks, project managers, you know, so not just programmers, anyone who has a hand in building software, um, there are two major barriers to them not leaving their full-time job and, and going and freelancing. The first was most people don't want to start an agency, right? Most people mm -hmm. don't want to answer RFPs and like create a brand for themselves and pitch, 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 right? It's just, most people just aren't cut out for that, right? They just want to do their work. I fully understand that. The second thing sounds stupid. If you're in America, in Canada, you don't have this issue. We do is health insurance. Mm -hmm. In America, we're so screwed up still. There's, there's no good options for health insurance if you're, if you're uh, independent. And so we actually did now there's some interesting startups that have actually, you know, create co-ops for independent people and, and lump them together and then get group insurance rates for them. And so one of them is called Opolis, which is a, a crypto native company as well, ironically. And so we've, we've partnered with a few of those, built them into our platform. And so now you can come to Brain Trust. We have unlimited demand, right? We have 10 times more demand than we have talent. And so you can create your profile, get verified and start proposing jobs right away. 
you'll have a job in 48 hours, you know. Um, and then two, you can get health insurance now, right? So you don't have to stay chained to your, your W-2 role, you know, commuting to some office or living in some city you don't want to live in like San Francisco. And so um, it's not, it's like this just happened in the last six, eight months, right? This is kind of the new economy. And so we call this like the unbundling of corporate America. And it's way better for talent and it's better for companies too, right? Like company, it, mm. companies now have these dynamic workforces. Um, you know, contractor doesn't mean temporary. You can have long-term contracts. You can scale up, scale down teams. If a company does need for classification rules to have someone on a W-2, like California is very strict about this. They don't like, you know, they like, they like their payroll taxes. That's fine. That we're not, we're not helping anyone subvert the law. We have a W-2 systems built into our network. So you can use, all W-2s on brain trust, if you like. Um, that's not the point, right? We don't care about tax classification. We, we're compliant everywhere we operate. Um, what we care about is flexibility for uh, for both sides. This is definitely great for everyone. I know Tony Fadell, the creator of iPod, he used to say that, like, you know, we should change our careers every seven years. We should reinvent ourselves. And this is how you can literally change jobs and try different things with freelance work at top tech companies. So that's that's really cool. Uh, I'm curious. So let's say someone is interested in Braintrust. They get on Braintrust. They register right now. And now they are waiting for someone to vet one of the members to bet what is the procedure what is the standard operating procedure that is set in place so that anyone who is an existing member can bet anyone else who wants to get in yeah it's actually not anyone it's um it's based on the skill set so let's okay. say let's say Prashant, you're you're a verified python developer on brain trust you've already gone through the process and let's say i'm the applicant and i uh, I, I claim to be a Python developer. The platform will, will first give me some asynchronous quizzes and tests. Now those can be gamed, right? Those can, you can always have someone else do them. So then this, if I get through those, the second step is you might be assigned to review me and there's lots of scripts and protocols. So we try to take the bias out of it, right? So you're trying to be, hmm. but, but you got to verify like I am a real person and I am who I say I am. Um, maybe you'll look at some of my other profiles. And then if you decide um, I can get verified, you know, you'll get paid in tokens either way. Um, and then that that's how community screening works. And it usually, look, it right. takes, you know, it takes, it depends on the skill. Like Python's a skill that's highly in demand. So if you show up with Python profile, you're going to get you through the system very quickly because we need you. You can be placed quickly. If you show up with sort of a, a skill that there's not a lot of demand for, it might take you longer to get through the queue. But it's all community driven pretty much. Right, definitely. And with community driven, I'm guessing the entire core engineering team is also uh like not uh, not employees of brain trust, but these are members. They're all members. There's not a single, like at least on, on my core team, right? We have we have different engineering teams that do different things around the network. Um, but every single engineer who touches the platform is a registered, approved talent user on the platform. So it's the ultimate kind of dog food. You know, it's like right. every single every everything that's ever been built for brain trust was a job on brain trust. That makes sense. So. How does the coordination work? Uh, because already, like, you know, creating a really good team is difficult where a company culture exists, where they have a proper mindset, where they are working together. There's a common design language. How does this work? It's already remote, but these are sort of independent members of a huge community who are just well, contributing have, open source. Yeah. I mean, look, all those things you mentioned are very important to start with, right? So we have a we have a, a core design system that we've open sourced that people need to adhere to. Like, anyone can can go off of it and like if you look at the brain trust academy it looks a little different from the brain trust right. core marketplace well whatever i mean look there's nothing you do about that right I mean, it's just like if i built a different ethereum client gui it's not going to look like 
MetaMask, right? It might look like something else, right? It doesn't matter. Um, now we are layer three, we're not a layer one, um, but we publish um, the the documentation. You know, it's very well documented code base, very well documented APIs, well documented design standards. Um, and so we ask people to adhere to that and maybe, you know, and if they don't, maybe they don't get the grant, right? But there's a grant committee that, that tells people that, you know, if they want to get paid, they need to, you know, meet our standards. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's security reviews that some of the members do and um, QA and all this stuff. And it's, you know, I'm actually not involved in most of it, but, um, uh, you know, it mostly works. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's, the thing is like, again, back to incentive alignment, right? Like, People don't want to waste their time building contributions that aren't aren't going to help the network, right? Like they're not they're wasting their own time if they do, and and the community doesn't want to waste community funds, right? Whether it's USDC or B Trust, and so you know you get and, and look we're also like a network of developers and designers, right? There's a, it's it's like for us bias kind of you know, and so um, it's it's like it's less messy than I thought it would be. Okay, right. Can you actually break down the operations? Like how, let's say, uh, today Braintrust Brain Trust has, let's say, 20 developers who are contributing. So how does the delegation of task works? Does even delegation requires voting? Uh, what feature needs to build? That needs voting. What features the developers want for themselves? Does that even need voting? So what are like community-driven? What are like, you know, personal-driven? What are, how does the delegation work? Like, can you help the operations? Can you help break down the operations? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, there's many more than 20 developers where there's hundreds. Right. Um, and um, there are, you know, things that each core node needs. So, so it's like the commercial nodes that bring in all the business, like the clients, they need certain things like, hey, we need to be able to like send an invoice through SAP. So um, Stanley Black & Decker can pay it, you know, whatever. Um, and so those are those dev needs are prioritized, you know, pretty high because that's how the network gets paid, right? That's how people get jobs. Um, and then like speculative features, like, hey, should we do staking rewards for locking up tokens, right? That's stuff that the community just completely does on its own without any involvement mm-hmm. from at least my core team. I don't, I don't know if anyone else is involved. Um, and then um, then there's the grants program, right? Where you just apply for a grant, the grants committee decides if it's something that should be done. And I'm not on the grants committee. There's other people, five or six people that run that committee and they decide and they're elected, they serve terms, right? And so if the community doesn't like how the grants program is being run, they can vote them out. Um, and so there's, you know, to answer, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, and then some of it's done paid and some of it's pro bono and some of it's paid for with you know, the venture money that I've raised. Uh, and so, it's, you know, it's all the above. That's cool. Okay. Uh, what's the role of grant community over here and what, what, what type of grants are being given out to members? Yeah, good question. Okay, so there's three types of grants, ambassador grants, builder grants, educator grants. So you click through each of those three. Again, this is braintrust.com slash grants. And right. it's basically like, it's just stuff to help. Like, hey, can you help us manage Discord? Can you help us create explainer videos about how, how to make money on Braintrust and how to get, uh, how to become a screener? It, it's almost like, it's like ecosystem kind of stuff. You know how like, you know how like Salesforce has like Salesforce University, you know, and mm-hmm. like, like their employees kind of go through it and, and, and their and their customers will go through it to like learn how to just be, to make more use of their subscription to Salesforce, I guess, right? It's ecosystem stuff. That's that's a lot of what I think the grants program is uh, today. It's, it's only like a couple months old. Um, my guess is in the future, it's gonna be like, hey, um, at least this is my understanding of the vision, is like, hey, we should expand brain trust into legal professionals, right? Like 
why would paralegals need to be employed full time for law firms? They should be independent. And so let's let's expand brain trust for paralegals and then let's do brain trust for accountants. Right. And like unbundle these firms one after another um, because it's better for both sides. And so I think that's where we'll see the grants program go. Interesting. That's very interesting. Like when you think about talent, when you think about hiring, you can ex expand anywhere. Uh, what do you think about the market size over here? This market size is growing constantly, right? Like even as you keep on uh, opening up this found different foundations like uh, legal and stuff, it keeps on growing. Where do you see this market going? What are the major trends over here? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the biggest TAN in the world. It's, it's like IT outsourcing alone is 1.5 trillion annual spend. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? It's like, that's half of healthcare. And then expand right. into all the other stuff, like expand into legal and accounting and compliance professionals. And boy, I mean, it is, it is the, the biggest space in the world. So you just got to go category by category. Um, I, I can say I won't have anything probably personally to do with the category expansion into legal. Like we've had lawyers approach us and say, we want to see, you know, the brain trust legal categories. So those are things where we're same with legal, same with accounting. Uh, I'm an IT guy, so I'm going to stay in IT, but um, big market. Definitely. Or oh, do you look at the brain test token price every single day? <laughs> I don't every day. No, every couple, every, every few days, probably. Right. Uh, and like, just curious, how much of the token do you own and the core team owns? So um, the founders and core team own a pretty small percentage. Um, I don't even remember the exact. If you go to uh, braintrust.com slash btrust dash token, it'll actually tell you the exact breakdown. Um, okay. I don't have that on my head. It's, it's low, low, like, you know, single digits for any, any individual founder. And then um, I can't remember 10% or something. It, it's pretty low amount. The majority of the tokens are, have been reserved to give out to community members through the referral engine, the screening program, and the grants program. Okay. That makes sense. What do you think over here as this is the entire space which people are trying to figure out? There are constantly new things evolving. Uh, what is your approach with building brain trust when uh, there are things that might go wrong, things that might not be the right way to do it? Uh, yeah, how are you approaching just contributing to brain trust? Yeah, look, I mean, experimentation is key to this space, you know, so fail fast, right? Go ahead and try it out um, before, before. Like I only control some of the resources on this platform, like particularly the venture capital we've raised. Like what I say is like, if, if, if our core team's resources are gonna go to build something, do as much as you can to validate it with users first, do lots of user testing, lots of qualitative and quantitative uh, research to make sure you're gonna build something people want, right? The worst thing, the biggest crime you can commit in this space is, other than actual crimes, I guess, is building something that nobody wants, right? That sucks. And so um, you always want to avoid that as a, as a product manager and, and um, developer. Um, and so that, that's sort of, you know, but, but like, look, some things you just got to experiment with, you know, um, if my intuition on things is usually wrong, that's why I like to experiment. And so fail fast, right? Unlike, you know, what we saw with, with Terra Luna this week, where it, it, they took many years and tens of billions of dollars to fail, which was very painful. I wish that would have failed more quickly and cheaply. Right. I'm guessing most of your discovery of these new tools, discovery of new protocols, methods is coming from Twitter. So what are some interesting things you're finding on crypto, Twitter, and Web3? 
Yeah, you know, um, I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. I, I'm, I, I try to stay focused on, on growing the brain trust ecosystem and, and figuring out new ways to grow our talent base. And we're, we have unlimited demand on clients. So, um, but I mean, to answer your question, like uh, I, I do invest in the space still. And, um, you know, I, I think the DAO platforms like Syndicate um, are really interesting, right? These just make it easy to create DAOs or DAO DAO is another one that's really interesting. Um, you know, I thought I, I still think algorithmic stable coins are super fascinating. I think it's some a piece of infrastructure we need and unfortunately didn't work out with Terra. Um, I think, you know, we're in a new winter now, right? It's 2017, 2018, all over again. It's um, capital markets frozen up and you know, a lot of people busted out last week. And, um, you know, I appreciate the experimentation, I guess, of the Ponzi economics and the play to earn and all that horse shit, but glad it's gone. Right. Let's build stuff that is valuable to users. You know, the, the network can't be self-referential. It can't be a Ponzi scheme. It has to build value for its users. And the best way to the simplest way, like call me an old industrialist, but the simplest way to build value for users is, is disrupt someone who's taking too much value from those users right now. That's a great way to think about it, that now that like, you know, the extra money is or the fluff is out of the industry, you can focus on building things that are actually valuable. But again, things will take some time to prove. So do you think that's still good? Because uh, Web3 still, Web3 metaverse in general is a long time or long horizon products that we are thinking at or we're looking at. Well, absolutely. I mean, so Braintrust is the largest Web3 network that I'm aware of. I, I, you know, yeah. If you look at Web3 index or look at Masari data, by revenue, the, by you know money flowing through the network, we're the largest by, by miles. And we, there's no question Brain trust drives real value for its talent and clients. The talent keep more of their income. They get a say in the control of the network where they make a living. Clients' budgets go way further, and they can hire and do whatever they want. They don't, there's no penalties for hiring people off the platform. They can do whatever they want, right? It's it's a completely open, transparent, user-owned network. Um, and so we've proven that we're, we're well past product market fit here. Um, but there's a lot of other opportunities, right? Like some, there will be a tokenized Uber, as you say, there will be a tokenized mm -hmm. DoorDash. There will be, um, I, I, I still think DeFi is going to, you know, figure out how to fulfill its promise of, of opening up more access. Uh, DeFi to date has largely just been Ponzi schemes and criminals uh, and, and, you know, 150% APY and whoever's left holding the bag loses. Um, but you know things like compound, right? Automated money markets or automated lending markets. That's that's cool stuff. Uh, there, there's a long way to go. Definitely, I'm curious. Are you buying the dip in terms of crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum? Okay, you don't. Perfect. No. Uh, I'm an LP in a ton of funds, uh, including one I co-founded called Cambrian, uh, and they right. let those managers let those managers do it. Uh, if if I if I were trading, I would be pulling my hair out. <laughs> Nice, nice. That's a great way to uh, outsource the bad habits to someone else. Uh, what do you want to protect you from yourself? Exactly, exactly. What do you want to say to people who still believe that it's not still Web three still new over here? But what do you have to say to people who think that Web three is all fugazi, fugazi? Yeah, look, I mean, it's been so easy to call something dead when there's a dip over the past few decades. I mean, how many times do people say Amazon was dead, and then you know, name your, pick your tech giant and pick its 75% drawdown and pick the moron who said it was dead, right? You, there's tons of, how many times have they said Bitcoin's dead? How many times they said ETH is dead? Uh, Terra actually is dead, right? That one, that one's hard to argue with, but that's the point of this space. It's, it's experiment after experiment makes us better, makes us sharper. 
uh, blockchain is far more collaborative and um, you know building block, you know ab abstracting layer after layer than than pr traditional tech ever was. So we have Web three. This is why people want to be in Web three, right? Who won with Web two? You know, it's like a hundred of us that made money in Web two, maybe a thousand people or something that made money in Web two. VCs and founders. That's it. That no one, maybe a, a few public you know holders, if you held Amazon at the right time or whatever. Oh, but the participants made nothing in Web 2. Fucking jack shit. And so in Web 3, when the networks are designed properly, everyone gets to benefit. And so, yeah, still still early. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of pain this week and last week, and there'll be more pain in the future. But, you know, well, the fundamentals are right. All right. So, Adam, it's finally good to see, like, you know, the real applications of Web3, real applications of tokenomics. It's not just all in the air because before this, I'm trying to get into Web3, so we are just talking concepts. But it's good to see, like, you know, real world applications. So great work on Braintrust. Do you want to share any last message? Where should people go? Uh, what should people do if they want to uh, yeah, level up I mean, in the career? 100%. I mean, if, if you want to come um, to have, you know, your first exposure to Web3, go to Braintrust.com, create an account as a connector. Connectors are people who use their unique code to refer clients and refer talent. And you start earning tokens as soon as those people sign up and start transacting. You don't have to be a programmer. You don't have to be a client. Uh, and you'll start, it gets you into the Web3 game, join our Discord, uh, contribute ideas, vote on things with those tokens you earn. You don't have to go buy the tokens, you can, you can earn them. Uh, and so braintrust.com uh, or follow me on Twitter uh, at Adam Jackson SF. Perfect. This was good, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.